right, welcome back to another episode of Backlash Podcast. Hopefully uh, everybody got a chance to listen to episode 100, but for this episode, we're not talking about episode 100. Well, we, we might talk about it a little bit, but our guest is going to be Dan Sura. He's been around the block for a while, so if you're into uh, history, much like Brad and I are, we like to we like to uh, you know talk to guests that have some, I guess, some characters. How would you would describe them, huh, Brad? Yeah, absolutely, Jeff. I mean, Dan Sura is somebody that I always enjoyed watching on In Fisherman, and then you know the winners kind of came out with their own gig, and he stuck it out with them for many years. And I, you know, he's a wealth of knowledge. He truly is, Jeff. And he's a character. He was a guy that I always really, truly enjoyed watching, you know, early in my fishing career, as well as uh, up till his retirement. Yeah, I think we're going to talk, you know, more about history, evolution of the sport. You know, he wants to talk a little bit about some overlooked fishing opportunities. So that should be as co- that should be cool as well. But uh, anyways, for that's that's what this episode's about. And we're going to talk a little bit right now about an upcoming Minnesota Virtual Muskie Expo. I know we have the expo that we are supposed to be at coming up in a few days. And if you'd like to, you can hop on TeamRhinoOutdoors.com and then at checkout, use the code T-R-O-M-N, as in Team Rhino Outdoors Minnesota. So the, again, that's T-R-O-M-N. You can get free shipping this weekend. We would love to be in Minnesota setting up. We'd love to be out and about in a show, you know, mode, but unfortunately that's not going to happen one more time this season. So that's what's up. We got free shipping again this weekend. So check out our website, teamrhinooutdoors.com. We have, I don't know, we got everything. Got a bunch of stuff for musky mayhem tackle. So if you're looking for triggers, detonators that you can't get through them, you can certainly find some exclusive colors through us. Musky Innovations, Booker Outdoors, Drifter Tackle, you know, musky train, suix, got a pile of suix lately. We got new baits and new colors from Smitty Baits. So check those all out. Lots of stuff. If you're looking for, you know, I don't know, I guess whatever it is you need for the 2021 musky season, we have it covered. And Brad, I understand you guys have a little something going on over there as well. That's right, Jeff. Uh, we do. You know, we're doing free shipping as well. The code for getting that uh, to receive your free shipping is MN. M-U-S-K-Y. So basically Minnesota Muskie, all capital letters, please. M-N-M-U-S-K-Y. So, you know, not only that, you know, we have a bunch of different things to offer as well, Jeff. And, you know, the neat thing about us is you can go right on our website and you can actually build any kind of custom bait you want right off the website. So no different than being at a show. It's, uh, it's offered on our website. So check that out. The other thing that we're going to do on March 6th, which is the Saturday of the show, is at 12.30, we're going to do a Facebook Live, basically here to answer any questions that you might have as if we were actually in the booth. So feel free to jump on our Facebook. We'd love to have you there, and we'll answer any questions that we can. And then on Saturday at 12.29, you can come on to our Facebook Live, and we'll do that instead. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, you know, it's... It, Matt Seifert and I just did a Facebook Live question and answer, I don't know, a week and a half, two weeks ago, and it was really well received. Um, tons of questions came at us. I think Matt actually might make a guest appearance on that Saturday the 6th, so hopefully he can sit there and run that whole deal, and if people have direct questions with me, he'll interrupt my workflow, and um, I'll be there to answer them as well. And it, it isn't just direct questions about baits either. I mean, you can ask us anything you want to possibly learn. So we're here to hopefully answer some of those questions, and um, I think it'll be fun. Yeah, I watched the uh, the event a couple weeks ago. It was you know, definitely pretty cool. It seemed like the uh, people that came out and checked it out liked it. They got to ask you guys a bunch of questions, learn about Muskie Mayhem products. We also learned um, when I asked the question, who is more important to the podcast, me or Carrie? Uh, Carrie definitely won. So fan club still fully intact, even though, shoot, I don't even know the last episode we saw Carrie on. I, we don't even bother scheduling with her anymore, Brad. It's just you and me. And then if somehow she manages to make it happen, we'll we'll bring her in some other day. But her fan club is still there. I mean, they, they supported her. So at least we know that's still intact. Yeah, hands down. You know, she's been super busy. We've all been busy. I know you are too, Jeff. I guess right now would be a good time to thank all of our customers, that's for sure. 
without him, we wouldn't be where we are today, nor would we be in this business. So, you know, a huge thanks to everybody that comes out and, and supports us. And I know you feel the same way, Jeff. We'll get her back on the podcast here shortly. Right. Well, we have to. I mean, clearly we're not much without her. I mean, we were man. We did manage to put out the hundredth episode without her, though. So that's, I mean, that's a plus. We were able to get through that. I think she was actually a little mad at us because she wasn't involved in it. But you know, somebody's got to run the day to day operations. I let Melissa handle it for that week that we were talking stuff over and and doing all that podcasting. Speaking of that, I know Brad and I kicked around the idea of putting out a bonus episode of you know, kind of like the making of the hundredth episode. We'll talk a little bit about what went into that. And I think you know, I mean, I think we should probably try to get that done at some point here, Brad, huh? I, I would agree. I mean, it was, <laughs> you know, the 100th episode definitely was a, a keystone for us, and I think it was important, and we tried to make it as important as we could by basically providing three and a half hours of content. Um, that three and a half hours is way longer than uh, than it sounds when you actually listen to it. There was a lot of uh, ins and outs, and I think we'd have plenty to talk about, Jeff. Yeah, absolutely. I think we should do that. You know, Brad, you were talking about how, you know, keeping busy this winter. And I, much like you, I want to thank everybody for keeping us busy this winter. I honestly, you know, this December, I bought a new ice shack. I bought a new ice auger because I thought, oh, heck, I'm going to, you know, I haven't had a chance to ice fish in forever. We're going to have plenty of time to ice fish this winter. And um, it didn't really happen. I got out of the ice, I don't know, a couple times. Definitely didn't have, you know, anywhere close to the amount of time on the water that I thought I would or on the ice anyways. So I guess I'll thank all my customers for keeping me off the ice and in the shop. We really do appreciate it, and that was good. I did put on an ice fishing video in December, but for anybody that's paid attention from the times that we started recording the 100th episode to now, I think I've put out like three or four different YouTube videos. So go check out our YouTube uh, channel. I throw a tackle box in the water on one of them. That was pretty fun. For anybody that cares, Lakewoods do float for at least, you know, 12 minutes while we went and watched it to see if it did float, and it did. So uh, you got that going for you. If you ever blow your tackle box out of, the, out of the lake, you know, going from spot to spot, at least if you have a Lakewood, you can go back and pick it up. So we did that. Went fishing in northern Wisconsin with Jeff Vandermortal. He puts a really nice one in the net. That was the one we just put out this past Sunday. I think Steve did an informational one on catching or um, releasing, handling a muskie. So if you're new to muskie fishing and you want to know how to handle one as you pull it out of the net, go check out that video too. And Brad, I think you want to probably talk a little bit about some YouTube stuff going on too, huh? Yeah, for sure. You know, we came out with the Pro Staff Profiles, which uh, basically is a highlight reel, if you will, as well as an interview process of some of our Pro Staff. As of the, you know, the day that this comes out, a week and a half ago um, from this time, we uh, we put out the second one, which was John and Ashley Holmgren. The first one was two weeks previous to that, and that was Matt Seifert. After you hear this one on Wednesday, the following Monday morning, which would be, what day would that be? The 8th, I believe? I believe that would probably be right. 5th, 6th, and 7th, yeah. I think, is the Minnesota show. Yep. We will be highlighting uh, Mark Sock Jr., so... Check it out. It's, it was a really fun project, and um, you get to see some fish being caught for sure. It's maybe not as instructive um, as far as the fishing side of it, but what it is, it's basically a highlight reel of our pro staff members, and uh, not all of them, obviously, and we're going to continue to go down this path. I think uh, it's kind of a different style, if you will, Jeff, and I think uh, most of the people that have watched it really, really like it. Yeah, it's definitely a different style, but it's cool. I mean, uh, there, with YouTube these days, there's so much of it that's, I don't want to say the same, but kind of the same, and this is definitely a little bit different, so it's a cool take on the way you guys went about it. But anyways, Brad, I think enough BSing. We've done that for a little while here. Um, anybody that's looking to get free shipping, go check out TeamRhinoOutdoors.com. Use code T-R-O-Minnesota, M-N-T-R-O-M-N. And if you're going to go to MuskyMayhemTackle.com, use... M N Musky Capitals M U S K Y I believe right Brad that is correct and you can go to muskymayhemtackle.com and check that out and get that free shipping offer so um, we you know once again we want to thank all of our listeners this week and we're gonna thank Dan Sir for coming out and talking to us and let's go see what Dan had to say all right our guest today is none other than Mr Dan Sir we're uh, pleased to have him I would say uh, a legend in the fishing world is probably an understatement. Uh, Dan, thank you very much for taking some time out of your schedule to talk fishing with us today. We really appreciate it. 
No, my pleasure. And given uh, the environment that it's like 20 below zero outside and a little bit of COVID going around, I'm in the house and this is the perfect thing to do at this time of the year. <laughs> my pleasure to be here. Yeah. Like I said, we're, we're super excited for this conversation. I don't know that we're going to necessarily, you know, dive into the hardest of hitting of muskie information, but it should just be a fun conversation about muskies, fishing in general, kind of the state of fishing and the evolution of fishing. So this should be a fun time. I got it. I'm, I'm on. I'm on board. All right. Well, Dan, for people that may or may not know, you know, your backstory, why don't you talk a little bit about where you came from and, and some of your accomplishments. I know that you've, you have many, and, you know, for people that don't know who you are, they must have been living under a rock or they're just too young where they don't know. But, you know, I certainly remember watching you on television. Uh, some of the fondest memories I guess I have is uh, James always called you Mr. Sura. I don't know. Did, did he ever call you Dan? I'm just curious. Uh, no, he, his brother's name is Dan. So if you say Dan, two of us will say what? All right. That, that makes sense. So, I was always, I was always wondering, like, I always just assumed it was a sign of respect, you know? And, it, no, it, it is. It is. It, it, trust me. I was with him the other day and I hadn't seen James in quite a while. And the first thing he said to me was, hello, Mr. Sarah, how you doing? So I think he, he respects me. I, I, I appreciate James's wisdom and calling me Mr. <laughs> but yep. he's a great guy and very good fisherman and just spent a lot of time. I met him when he was about five or six years old. So I've been with him ever since he's been out of diapers, just about until he's what, 50 now, probably. Yeah. I would, I would say he's probably in that ballpark. I don't, Brad, we had him on the show. We never even thought to ask him how old he was. Well, I won't keep you guys in suspense. I'm 77. So I've wow. been around the block a few times. And based on the stories that you told us of you, you know, going through backwaters and with little canoes and all sorts of stuff, man, I hope I can be in half that good of shape when I'm 77. <laughs> well, we'll see. You've got you to lean a clean life and sleep well, and uh, maybe, maybe you'll be lucky. It's genetics. It's a lot about genetics. <laughs> well, let's hope I can. Let's hope I get that. So anyways, you know, okay. 77 years, you obviously have a lot to talk about with the fishing industry. Let's let's start, I guess, I don't know if you want to start from the beginning. I know in a little bit of research I did, sounds like you grew up in uh, Racine, Wisconsin. You did some fishing on the Root River, and that was kind of, I'm, I'm assuming that was the beginning of it. Right. I'm going to rant for a bit here, and I'll slow down if you got a question. But essentially, yes, I was born in Racine, Wisconsin, and, and Racine is located between Milwaukee and Chicago. It's right on Lake Michigan. The Root River is an agricultural river coming out of Milwaukee County, which is to the north, and flows into Lake Michigan. And I live three blocks from the Root River and about 20-minute bike ride to Lake Michigan. So I literally cut my fishing teeth on carp, you know, bullheads, catfish, typical river fare, and I was there all the time. Six o'clock in the morning until I had to go home for supper. And my brother and I, we'd also get a jump on our bikes and we'd hop down to Lake Michigan and we'd catch perch off the pier. Now what we would do is we would seine in the river, we'd get crayfish, we'd sell the crayfish at 25 cents a dozen to perch fishermen, and then we'd take some of the bait, we'd catch some fish to bring home, and then we'd make money. And it ended up where the guy that was running the local bait stand down at the North Pier would buy all of our crayfish because we were taking this business away from them and didn't even know it. Anyhow, uh, my brother and I would also hitchhike rides to the area lakes. Uh, didn't have a car. My mother didn't. So we would just go with a fishing rod and a tackle box, and we would hitchhike out to a lake and fish and then hitchhike home. Now, you can't do that today. But in that day and age, you know, around 1950, 1955, it wasn't a big deal. And all in the typical school and then after college and a tour, tour of duty, uh, I was in the U.S. Navy at Lakehurst, New Jersey, which, by the way, is where the Hindenburg went down. Uh, I got a job at S.C. Johnson in the research and development area as a chemical technician. And at this time, uh, the whole fishing revolution was, was just gaining storm in the country. You think about it, there were sports shows, uh, different fishing clubs, uh, seminars, magazines like uh, Early Days, Fishing Facts, and then in Fisherman and Bassmaster. And the whole shift was, instead of stories about going fishing, the magazines were shifting their editorial to telling people how to catch fish. 
And that was a huge, huge shift. You know, guys like Buck Perry, uh, Spoon Plugging, uh, Bill Binkelman, famous for his Nightcrawler Secrets book. And uh, Ron and Al Linder at that time owned the Lindy Tackle Company. And those guys were on the real forefront of this whole information uh, sharing that was going on at that time. Think about it. What happened at the same time? Lawrence Green Box in the 60s, the early 60s. That was a revolutionary game changer for the sport. Uh, Minn Kota popularized their trolling motors. Uh, you had custom fishing boats being developed, uh, the bass boats, uh, some walleye boats. But things were really taking shape for a massive jump. And me, I was working full-time, but I was into this up to my ears. I was very active in the Chicago and Milwaukee area fishing clubs. And these guys were sharing information on where to go and how to catch fish. It was an incredible experience. And that's when I met Alan Ron in about uh, 1970. They had the tackle company, Lindy, and that was the biggest blessing of my life. Changed my life. We became fast friends. And besides my regular job at SC Johnson, I fished, I fished, I fished. I was a rep for Tuffy Boats. Uh, I was field staff for Lorance and for Lindy Tackle. And I also fished and taught schools uh, with the Lindner in fishermen schools up in Brainerd with my good friend Dave Sanda and my fishing buddy, who eventually ended up working there and is still one of my best friends to this day. And my guy's a phenomenal angler and human being. Uh, when Alan Ron in the mid-70s sold the tackle company, they started in Fisherman Magazine. And that was the perfect timing when you think about it, when people were all hungering for more info on how to fish. So the FLP equals S, which is Ron Linder's Algebra of Angling. That's the fish, the location, the presentation equals success. That formulation was, it was just genius because people were learning the habits of the fish they wanted to catch. You put the fish in the lake and it would give you the seasonal location on the, based on predator prey and water temperature, uh, bottom uh, conditions and structural elements. And then what presentation are you going to use to catch those fish? It, it was the perfect formula at that time for getting people inspired. And when you take a look at in Fisherman Magazine, I think the subscriptions and total distribution ended up being about 350 or 60,000. We had national television, national radio, uh, species-specific books, uh, seminars, and they also had a youth uh, project called Camp Fish, teaching young people how to catch fish. So when you look at the crew that was there at the time, it was... Al Lindner, Ron Lindner, James Lindner, uh, Dave Sander was key, Doug Stangy, and, and a few others. And that, so when I came into that group, it was already pretty well established. And I joined them in, uh, I think it was 1984, I moved up there. And what was really interesting, guys, is I left a, a cradle-to-grave job at S.C. Johnson's. And lots of folks then, when I talked to them, thought, all I did was hook, hook up my boat, and I went fishing every day. <laughs> well, the truth is, many times, you know, we were working six to seven days a week because we had a business. We had magazine ad sales, television and radio sponsorships to sell, articles and books to write, plus all the television shows to shoot. I mean, that was the same group of guys that basically did everything. It was a, a heck of a lot of work, but man, it was great work. It was a great industry, and, and the people were just were just wonderful. I guess some of the things that I, I can recall as being accomplishments, I love to fish saltwater. I don't do enough of it, but I've uh, been in the Florida Keys. I fished uh, Africa, Finland, Mexico, Costa Rica for tarpon, shark, redfish, perm fish, rooster fish, but in freshwater, I have a 16-pound walleye, a 7-pound smallmouth, 47-pound 
excuse me, 47 inch northern pike. These were all just measured. Uh, 10 pound largemouth. That was out of Mexico. And I don't have a lot of big muskies. My biggest is, uh, I got like uh, 52 and a half is my biggest. A really fat fish. But um, I still enjoy fishing muskies. I don't do as much of it as I used to because I have a weird condition in my hands called Dupuytren's contracture. And it caused me to drop one of L. Lindner's rod, $500 rod and reel outfits into the lake about a year ago. So I, I am taking it a little bit easy when it comes to throwing expensive equipment over the side of the boat. <laughs> At least it was Al's and not yours, Dan. <laughs> bless, his, <laughs> bless his heart. Bless his heart. I mean, the temperature was about 45 degrees, and it was a drizzly rain, which is the worst for my hands. And uh, I dropped it overboard. He looked at it, and I think he he said, well, make a few casts for it. He said, let's go catch some fish. And he looked at me, and he said, you know, you just really blessed somebody today. He said, somebody's going to go catch that rotten reel, and they're going to be so happy. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought that was a pretty good statement. I mean, if it would have been my rod and reel, I might have spoken a little bit different. But, you know, that's Alphonse. He's, he's got this tremendously calming demeanor when, even when he's upset sometimes, he's got a cool head. That's good. <laughs> that's awesome. And that's good to know, too. I, I like that. You know, one of the things that I guess kind of inspires me is that I think so many of these younger people think that they're just going to get into this industry and just tear it apart and they're going to make big money and everything else. And your story is very similar to a lot of people that I know that are in the industry and my, my own story as well. It came with a real job before it really came into the fishing side. And, um, hey man. I think, you know, a lot of people lose sight of that. And, you know, fishing was a, a second part-time job in a sense until we got, you know, the lure company going. So I find that interesting all the time. And I think the key ingredient was you're willing to do the work. And I think that's uh, what it takes. If, if you're trying to make a lot of people that I know that love to fish, I mean, of course, being a fishing guide is the logical way to go with that. But um, if you can get involved with the right company and looking back, guys, I will say this. In the beginning, a lot of the companies that we deal with, I mean, let's talk Berkeley Bedell, you know, and uh, the, the folks at, at Lund, their original owners, these, they were fishermen. The companies were run by fishermen. And as these corporations grew and got bigger and bigger, now a lot of the major companies are not operated by fishermen anymore. They're running by, run by, the CEOs and CFOs and, and everything is dollars and cents. And in the beginning, when you have that pure passion, uh, the companies seem to grow and it's just a lot more fun. Uh, I do business with a lot of big corporations when I was obviously working at Lender Media and Angling Edge with the television sponsorships and so forth. And many of the really, really good companies yet, you know, I'm talking about, uh, the Johnson Outdoors people, the Minkota people, the Lund people, the Shimano people I work with, and, and the list goes on. They have a core of really, really ardent anglers, and that keeps their product development on track. They're building the right product that's quality, and they understand uh, what it takes to catch a bass, a walleye, a northern, or a muskie, and they make products that work. And that's the difference. I think you get companies that have a passion for the sport, and there's still a lot of them out there. They work very hard. They're successful. And I, and I, and I appreciate their work. Absolutely. I, I can understand that completely. I've, I've watched that whole transition as well. And, of course, if you know anything about business, once accounting becomes uh, the main practice of that business, Usually it doesn't mean good things coming down the pipe, you know, oh, um, yep. it, it's that entrepreneurship or desire to, to excel that really truly sets companies apart. So yeah. I get it. I think that's cool that you brought that up. And, and we, you know, when you work for a company, I work for the SC Johnson company 
they own a subsidiary there's owns you know Minn Kota and Old Town Canoes and and the Minn Kota and uh, Humminbird. So they're a bigger company, but the passion is still there for fishing. Their founder and the gentleman that I knew was president, Sam Johnson, owned a owned a resort, up, not a resort, but a, an estate up on Owen Lake, and he fished. He loved to fish, so hence he started investing in fishing companies. I mean, that's that's pretty cool. And then working for Alan Ron Linder, private company. I mean, I haven't worked for a public company my whole life. <laughs> so that tells you where I'm at. I mean, I've been in that passion environment my whole life. So was it was it like a transition that that SC Johnson uh, position helped you kind of realign with the fishing side? Well, what was interesting about that is being an analytical research, that's what I did. I did a lot of research. I thought analytically, and it really, I think, helped me understand a lot more about fishing. I'm not necessarily talking about the job part of it where you're doing sales and writing contracts because I was never trained for that, but I was trained to think analytically. And I believe that helped me both in my fishing and eventually into my, my job of what I had to really do to, to do my end of the company to bring revenue in. Um, the thought process, you know, whether you're developing something in a lab or whether you're sorting out information in your head, to go locate a fish, isn't that dissimilar? It's just a matter of what are the variables and what do you want for an end result? So that, that I think, helped train me, and I wasn't even knowing it at the time. <laughs> that, that, that's an interesting concept. So the last couple couple of our guests, as of late, I would say, Jeff, they, they talked about you know record-keeping and things like that. Is that something that you did yourself as well as far as catches? Uh, yes, I, I, I would agree. We did that. We put dates, times, places, and we had our seasonal peaks for different bodies of water. And we would always make sure that, you know, within reason, if we could get back there and take advantage of the seasonal peak, which is really makes fishing a lot easier. <laughs> and yes, the record keeping is a part of it. Yeah, definitely. And McAnally, my good buddy Gary, keeps total track of everything right now. So I've got a CFO who's also got the ability to do spreadsheets and write down uh, dates, times, places, lures. <laughs> it makes my, makes the job easier. I don't have to do it. Yeah, that's awesome. And I know Gary pretty well. So for me, it, it makes perfect sense that that's who he is. That's That's how he deals with everything, I think. Yes. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. CFOs think differently. And by the way, he's, he's a pretty good net man. If you ever want to take a musky fishing or something, he's good with a net. He's had a lot of practice. <laughs> <laughs> That's good to know. Maybe, maybe what we need to do, Dan, is we need to set up a day where the three of us can go this summer. I think that'd be Oh yeah. Plan. We got We Yeah. We got to do that. That's fine. We'll, we'll let McInerney run the boat. We'll let him fish. You <laughs> just hold the net. <laughs> That's perfect. Oh, that's good stuff. Well, maybe maybe we should transition kind of into, you know, what I would like to maybe go down the path of is kind of what you've seen in the evolution of the sport, maybe just in fishing, but also in the muskie side, if you could. Uh, well, maybe we could chat about the muskies because it's kind of intertwined here specifically. But, you know, this the whole thing with the evolution of fishing, I think we touched on it, is uh, – the dissemination of fishing information. I mean, that, that really exploded in the late sixties, you know, it went from magazines essentially to tell to national television. It went to radios. It went to huge sports shows, people doing seminars, tournament fishing. Think of BASS and, and the, just the excitement that brought to fishing. And then you had the magazines, you think about that whole combination of ingredients and how many, how many eyeballs it reached, how many sets of ears. I mean, lots of people were, were impacted by that. And yeah, I think it lit a fire in a lot of people were for the first time, people were actually learning how to, how to fish instead of just, this is what my grandpa did or my dad did. I mean, I'm thinking for themselves, what's the best bait? What's, what, what do I need to be? What body of water? What structure? And 
I think all of that is huge. And then when you take a look at what FLP, you know, the fish habits and where they're going to live in any body of water, uh, Lake River Reservoirs, what are the most effective presentations given the circumstances you're dealt with? People were thinking through that process and making decisions and helping them catch fish. To me, that was the beginning of what's still going on today. Um, the Lawrence Green Box, probably the number one game changer as far as a piece of equipment goes in the history of angling. That, that's my feeling. In addition to what's happened, look at the rods, the reels, the fishing lines, and a zillion new lures that people have. You've got species specific rods, reels, lines, lures. That's happened in the relatively recent past. And, you know, when you start looking at muskies, how much more species-specific do you have to get? You know, look at the reels and the strength, you know, like a trank. I mean, could winch a semi in with that thing. You've got lines that are lighter and stronger. Massive lure choice from hard bodies to soft plastics to spinners to tandems. It, it's amazing what's going on in the fat and sound, sound enhancement lures. I mean, holy mackerel. Where is it going to end? The unfortunate thing is you got money. You can buy a boat, motor, trailer, the right equipment. You can buy some expensive electronics with some mapping on it probably complete with areas and whatever fish species you want that would highlight on your body of water and you can go out and you can be on a spot that probably holds fish but you still got to catch them i mean you still got to catch them so even though you can buy all the technology if you've been never been on say malax and you don't know where the tip of eight mile is you buy the right equipment you can go right to the tip of eight mile and be there and i can remember in the old days when you had to line up trees on the shore and I fished with a guy by the name of Mark Dorn, who was the director of the professional walleye trail. The guy was a superb walleye angler. He owned a resort on the lake. He could drive right to it. And he would tell me, line up that tree on that shore with that. I couldn't even see the tree, let alone the shore. I mean, he could do that. Now you can go buy that in a, in a map. So where I'm ranting about is people can do that, but they still have to catch the fish. So, you know, we've got, incredible technology um but you still got to trigger them to bite and anybody that's fish muskies knows that is always easy <laughs> you know one little miscue and the fish going to turn in both as far as the evolution of the sport and whether you're talking walleye fishing bass fishing you know largemouth or smallmouth northerns muskies you name it the equipment I believe is better today than it's ever been in the history of fishing. And the prices are, I think for what you're getting are quite reasonable. They're not out of line and it makes, I think with the right equipment, an average fisherman can become a much better average fisherman, you know, with your casting, your retrieving, your figurating, and all the little nuances and triggering elements that go into fishing for muskies, I think if nothing else, it's a confidence builder. So we've got all of this going on, and you also add cell phones. So I'm fishing on a lake, um, and I can ring you, Brad, and say, you know, I'm on, uh, I'm on the rock bar here, on Borden Lake, uh, four o'clock in the afternoon, I brought two fish up. You know, if you're going to be out here, come on, come on over and check them out. I got to go home, cook supper. Okay, that technology of sharing that information instantaneously is something else that is a definite evolution of just the exchange of information and getting to the fishing spots faster where the fish are going. And I think that in one case may, may, may put a little more pressure on the fish. Thankfully, muskie fishermen are essentially all catch and release. So that's, that's a really good thing. But uh, as far as that evolution goes, 
the, and, and you can take that evolution into boats and motors and trailers too. When you look at how the trolling motors have been developed with spot lock, um, they're much quieter. They're more powerful boats designed for bigger waters. You can stay out and fish longer when the fish may be turning on under high wind conditions. And, and, uh, you've got motors that are big engines that are quieter and can push these bigger boats very efficiently and yet can still troll down. And if you want to do some, some trolling and very effectively without fouling up your spark plugs. So this whole thing is just a, at this point in time, I don't know what else we can develop that would make our fishing any better. Cause I think we got it pretty darn good right now. And we still got to work a little bit to get them. I agree completely. And, you know, I think it's really cool that you've been a big piece of this, uh, of that whole culture or the process of the evolution, Dan. And I know personally, um, you yourself and many around you affected who I became, you know, in my fishing career as well. So I, I bring a lot of praise to that. And I think it's really cool and super cool to, to think in my mind from being a young person watching the show, watching other shows, you know, you, you hit it, the Bassmasters. I used to watch it every Sunday. It affected my life and changed my life as well. And I, I've gotten in on a little bit of that. You know, I still have an old green box that we had when I was a kid. Um, it still works. Actually, you could go use it right now on the ice. I mean, wow. it, it, it. <laughs> I, I know I'm, I'm planning on it, but you know, it's, it's crazy. Um, I love it. And one of the things that I've always talked about, you know, even when we first got our first GPSs, I mean, think about that. So you had sonar for how many years mm -hmm. we shift gears into this, uh, GPS type deal. I remember my first one was a 350A Lowrance and, um, and I had all kinds of waypoints and icons on that thing. And, and of course they never got to be able to transfer them to the other stuff. But I remember when the first map cards came out and those map cards literally changed it overnight as well. All the years I spent trying to locate and, and learn spots and dropping icons, trying to figure out exactly how I wanted to work a spot. All of a sudden for $150, everybody had the knowledge that took me 10 years to get, you know? So yep. it's, it's, it's a wild, fast pace and it's so, so cool. And, and I think uh, what you just touched on just triggered something in my old, my old brain here <laughs> is uh, the fishing pressure aspect of it. And, and not to really dwell on it or pound it into the ground, but, uh, but I believe, you know, this whole catch photograph release concept is where fishing has got to go with minimal harvest. You, you, what else are we going to do? I mean, there's a finite number of fish in the lake, and if they're going to get more intelligent fishing pressure, which is exactly what we're talking about, it's going to affect the fish. There's no doubt about it. And when you take a look at fishing pressure, you know, unfortunately for a lot, a lot of fishermen, uh, there's an increase in recreational boating. When you look at it, there's wave runners and wave setters and jet skis and a lot of people in pontoons running around and they have a perfect right to do that. It's just that when they're doing it on your favorite musky spot that it tends to bother me and you, <laughs> but, um, the, the other little side note is you've got invasive species and well, that's not fishing pressure. It does affect fish population, uh, prey fish, game fish alike. And then tournament scene is huge very popular both in walleyes and bass and you know they they are getting i believe the tournament organizers are a lot more cognizant now of taking care of the fish if they're bringing some into the weigh-in they limit the number they take care of them and they put them back and now the real interesting thing is they're going to these virtual tournaments with an app where you don't really even need a weigh-in i mean i understand the camaraderie of the weigh-in and everything and a few fish but I think that's a huge plus for tournaments if they can do it virtually and you don't have to run the risk of killing fish and getting all the negative publicity that goes along with it. Anglers, you guys know, you, you know, you, you let them go at both sides anyhow and take a picture. I mean, that's all you get. There's nothing wrong with that. That's the way it should be done. Probably for everybody. <laughs> well, honestly, you know, talking on that topic, I think, as anglers, and especially, you know, if you look at the musky world, 
they definitely evolved quicker in the sense of catch and release. And that, but I do think that um, there's an evolution in the angler as well, where they are being a little bit better to the fisheries. And, and, and that's a kind of a key point that I think is worthy of mentioning as well. Right. And, and you, you mentioned something about the releasing fish, the catch and release thing. When you think about it, there's a lot of lakes right now that have minimum size limit. So people, even if you want to harvest fish, if it doesn't meet the minimum size, you got to let it go. So taking care of fish, treating your fish carefully when you unhook them. And if you're into a good bite, you push the barb down. I know we find that on some of the smallmouth bites we get on, you've got to push your barb down. Otherwise you end up potentially hurting some fish, but releasing them as fast as you can back to the water is important. And I'm telling you that now I'll tell you this as, as a guy who killed a lot of fish. I mean, I was bad in the early days in the seventies. We fished Gull Lake we killed way too many fish out of that lake over the years and other lakes that I've been on before I became aware of what the damage was being done. I did that. So I'm not trying to point fingers at somebody and say, you're wrong. You know, I did it. I understand. But at some point when the information came out on how it affects populations of fish and you just have to accept that, and take a picture and release the fish back. And I didn't for a lot of time killed a lot of fish. So I admit I, I was ignorant. I was foolish and I was egocentric. Look at what I caught. But today I'm just as happy with a photograph on my iPhone. <laughs> well, so Dan, you know, you talked about the advancements in electronics. Do you think that at some point that the, uh that, you know, the DNRs in the specific states need to relook at, you know, bag limits to compensate for, I'll say the ease of catching, but it's definitely easier now than it ever was before. Uh, you know, that's, a, that's an interesting question because there's, there's been some discussion about that. Um, what, what seems to be, I think it's a psychological thing for a lot of anglers that, you know, the walleye limits, let's just say got to be five. I want, I, I want five. Five. And if you try to cut it to even four or three, everybody gets upset. It's a cultural thing more than anything. I believe the DNR has to convince the general public that this is what we really need to do. Why? Why? Now look at Mille Lacs, what they've done. I mean, you can't harvest fish over there. Then they're all constantly trying to re rework the rules to, to keep everybody happy. I think the expectations of the anglers where maybe some of this education has to be brought to bear is just telling people, you know, great, go fishing, take a couple to eat, but you don't necessarily have to take a limit every time out. You know, bag limits definitely control populations to some degree. You have minimum size limits, maximum size limits. Those are usually used to protect spawning fish. And, and uh, you, you look at where the muskie harvest is now. What is it, 54 in, in a lot of areas? Yeah, 54 inches? Yeah, over in Minnesota it is. I know in, in Wisconsin there's a few of them, Green Bay being one of them. I'd say Wisconsin's still on the low end of a lot of that stuff, though. Yeah, and that, and that's something I think would really help is, you know, for for uh, valuable fish like muskies and the, and the people that are avid muskie anglers are going to release them anyhow. And I think that's one way to ensure a trophy population is just to allow that. And by the way, I, I fish Wisconsin a lot, being from Wisconsin. And there's a series of lakes around Hayward, you know, that are protected. There's one smallmouth over 18 inches is all you can take or keep. You can want one over 18. Well, that's a pretty doggone nice regulation because there's a lot of big fish in those lakes. And that's what I enjoy. And if you look at, um, say, Mille Lacs, Mille Lacs for many years, guys, when I was up here, you could keep one smallmouth and I think it had to be 20 or 21 inches over 20 or over 21 something like that 21 I think it was it was huge you could go out there on any given day and you could catch a dozen fish you know really big fish I'm talking 18 19 20 inches I mean it, it was incredible and then they dropped it back they allowed some harvest because of the walleye situation people take some fish now the fishing is still good but it's not anywhere near what it was for either the big fish or for, or for numbers of fish. So, you know, it does have an impact. 
And I don't know what the answer is. I wish I did. All I know is as an individual angler, you have to make that mind up for yourself. I think that's exactly what you guys said is, you know what? you got to make up your mind that this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to be a catch and release angler. Occasionally, I'll keep one to eat if it's a, you know, a, a walleye, you want know, crappie fishing. Fish for the species that you can harvest and just put the, put the game fish back. Let them, let them grow and have, fight, fight another day. Yeah, without a I, doubt, I couldn't agree more. I definitely think that we, things like that need to be taken upon individual anglers <laughs> as we move forward because it's, you know, as technology continues to advance, and I'm assuming that it will, it's it's only going to put more pressure on these fisheries. Right, and and if we let if we let if you just throw up our hands and we let the DNR do what they want to do, I'm not saying look they want to do what's best for everybody, but if we can practice sensible self control on on what we're doing with the fish we catch, it's going to help. It's going to help them not have to impose these regulations that everybody's going to hate. <laughs> it's, it's, it's just, I think it's what you stated. The individual angler has to make that decision for him or herself that um, this is what I, this is how I want to control my fishing. I want, I want to keep a couple to eat, but then I'm going to put the rest back and not have to string them up and throw them in the live well. Well, I'm just curious. Do you think from uh like a social media standpoint that sometimes in some cases it, it, I don't know, almost puts pressures on the fishery, like the, you know, the, a guy that would, let's just say ice fishing or whatever. So they take a picture of a pile of fish on the ice and it, like if they only had like three fish on the ice and they took that same picture, do you think people would be like, Oh, he must not be that good of an angler. So in some cases there's almost social pressure to, yep. uh, you know, like e- e- in ego essentially, I would say, I mean, that's, yep. that's kind of what it boils down to, I guess. Exactly. No, I, I would agree with that. Yes. You, you, you show the, the photographs and then other people repost it. The next thing you know, the spot that you're on is going to be overfished. <laughs> That's the reality of it. Yeah. So, I mean, overall, I mean, I'm assuming that obviously the advancements are good for the sport of fishery, but I mean, how much, I obviously don't have a crystal ball, but how much more do you think we can see out of the advancements? Cause you're, your generation, I had a conversation with Russ Smith from Smitty Bates recently, mm-hmm. and he's, he, you know, he's probably, I'm guessing, in your, in your general age, and I would say your generation has seen more advancements in fishing in general, not just musky fishing, than any generation will potentially see. Would, do you think, I mean, at some point we have to hit the limits, don't we? Well, you know, that's, a, that's interesting, but I, I would agree with you, uh, just, just the fact that we've lived through so much and so fast to the, the evolution. And at, at some point, the technology may outstrip the ability of number one, the angler to use it. I mean, <laughs> you think about it or B it's going to put so much pressure on the uh, resource that the fish Will be if you had a magic elixir that you could put on a bait and the fish would bite it, fishing would end in a year. <laughs> everybody would bite and everybody would go fishing and everybody would use it. So, at some point, maybe there might have to be some restrictions on some bodies of water with the amount of technology you could use. I would have no problem if they said, you know, you, you you can't use this or you can't use that on this particular body of water and kind of a throwback throwback lake where you don't go out there with uh, all the high tech electronics and see how you can do just just for the fun of it i i i'm not saying that will happen but i would i would love to see it <laughs> well let me ask you another opinion question so with all the advancements that you've seen do you think fishing is more fun today than it was 20 years ago when you had to line up the tree with the dock and all that kind of stuff? Or, you know, did that give you some sort of sense of personal satisfaction that potentially made fishing more fun than what it does even now or not? You know, that, that is a difficult question to answer. What you said makes logical sense to me, but I also like catching fish. And I think the new technology in some instances have made it, easier to catch the fish it's a little bit less work better rods better reels better all the things that that go into making fishing because you have less backlashes now 
you know, you, you don't have the lines breaking like we used to. You, you have a whole better experience on the water today. So at 77, that makes me very happy to have a good experience where I don't have, because maybe at 77, I can't see the shore. <laughs> uh, so just looking at it from my perspective, it, fishing was what it was back in the 70s, and it was great. I enjoyed it, and I wouldn't trade it. Fishing is great today. I love it. I wouldn't enjoy it. So to say that one is either better than the other or how far can it go, I'm not sure. But I hope I'm around to see a few more things yet. <laughs> I, I certainly hope so the same. I The reason I asked the question is because, like, so this fall I was playing around with the panoptics a little bit, and then I have my side imaging, and I got my regular, you know, mapping system. I'm, mm-hmm. looking, at, I'm looking at all these different screens all the time. And sometimes it's almost like you you miss out on like part of the experience with fishing, you know, like the part of the just being out there and like, I, I guess the less clutter in your life and all that stuff. And now you go into a boat and there's all this different stuff that you need to pay attention to. And I, I was just curious what your thoughts on, on, on the advancements are. Well, I, I, I like what you said, quite frankly, because I've been in boats with people that do that. They spend more time staring at their electronics than they do fishing. I'm still a bit of the old school because I just like, I love casting. I mean, I'll still use my equipment, but I'm not somebody that's going to sit there and glue my face to the uh, electronics. I I just don't. I mean, I I like moving. I enjoy fishing bucktails, so it means I'm moving usually pretty quickly. I'm covering water. Um, I'm not really sitting on a spot for an extended period of time. Um, maybe, uh, walleye fishing. I usually don't, I don't fish a heck of a lot of walleyes anymore. I catch a lot of them by accident fishing for smallmouth. I'd spend half three quarters of my life fishing for them. And I, and I'm nothing against walleyes. I love them, but I'm just into the smallmouth mode now. And when you think about the smallmouth are aggressive, they chase, they're, they're the ideal fish. And you have, for me, I like to move around and catch them. <laughs> So the experience for me is getting a bite and covering water. I still enjoy that a lot. I don't know if I could back troll anymore. <laughs> I'd have to cast a jig with a, with a grub tail or something for a walleye to fish for him. That's just me. Well, I think some of the interesting concepts, you know, if you're looking at whether it be side imaging or 360 um, mega, or then all of a sudden you get into the live, which I know Humminbird's going to be doing their live stuff here coming up soon too. Um, when you go to a live screen like that, I, I definitely can see the application in ice fishing with live. But mm-hmm. when it's on the on the boat per se, you do. You, you end up getting tunnel vision into a screen. And I think that's, the, that's a little bit of a negative in a sense. Um, can it help you put more fish in the boat? Positively it can. But it's supposed to be an enjoyable experience as well, and it's supposed to be fun. That's where I like side imaging, just because I can glance at the screen. Oh, there's some fish over there. Okay, now I can reposition and and work that. Um, I don't have to be on it all the time. And so a history on the screen to me is important. And here's here, guys. Boy, you just said something that just triggered me, Brad. Here, this, this is the beauty of fishing. Everything that we've been talking about, the advancements and what do we want to do? Here's the deal with fishing, guys. You can grab a cane pole and you can go down to the river and you could catch rock bass and bullheads and catfish and be perfectly happy. If you could grab a spinning rod and reel, go out and catch crappies, a dozen of them, bring a few home to eat and be perfectly happy. You could go up and lake of the woods and fish for three days throw monster baits around pounders and lots of other big stuff and maybe never see a muskie and be perfectly happy so i think it depends on the individual angler what do you want out of the experience some people brad may like that electronic especially the younger people i can see the young people getting into that you know me where I am, I'm I'm more along. Your, I want the experience. I want I want to fish. I don't want to be standing staring at the screen. Uh, I just either trust my instincts, which may or may not be always accurate, but I want to trust them. I want to do some things. I, I get on my trolling motor. I can hit spot lock, throw a few casts around, move. Um, 
So fishing is so wonderful. It doesn't matter if you're seven or 77, you can fish for a different species of fish any way you want and enjoy it, sitting on a bank, in a boat, waiting, whatever, and still enjoy your fishing. So maybe that's the, the answer. The answer is there isn't one. You could enjoy it at whatever level you want to participate. I think we got a good taste of that this uh, past summer with the whole COVID rules and, and a lot of activities that were normal in the day-to-day day, day, um, people's lives. Um, people reach back out to fishing. And I, I think you hit it also with the uh, recreation on the lakes that kind of peaked this last summer as well, but mm -hmm. I, it's kind of cool to see people, families, I would say, get back into the sport of fishing. And I think, uh, I'm hoping that some of that retains, you know, I, I don't get me wrong. I, I don't like the busyness of the lake all the time, but at the same time, I'm also super, super stoked to see a bunch of families out doing something that uh, I think it gets you back to your ruts. You know what I'm saying? I agree. Well, that 100%, what you just said, makes total sense. And if one thing comes out of this pandemic, what you stated with families getting together and enjoying the outdoors and fishing, uh, fishing license sales were up during this pandemic. Um, I personally know a lot of people that have gone on family outings fishing where they hadn't for a couple of years because everybody's too busy well this year they're not <laughs> or last year i should say 2020 that so that that was a good observation and i agree with it 100 percent. well brad you kind of transition there you know you're talking about covid and fishing pressure and stuff like that so one of the other things we wanted to talk to dan about was overlo overlooked fishing opportunities dan you say that there's a whole lot of chances that your opportunities out there that aren't so I'd say mainstream or popular. How do how do guys go about finding some of these off the beaten paths fishing opportunities? Well, with with uh, the COVID still kind of going on, um, this is the perfect time of the year to do a little research and spending a, a couple of hours looking for specific things that I'll tell you in a second is well worth your time. Uh, bass fishermen, mainly bass panfish possibly some walleyes too, maybe some muskies. And here's the deal. Get yourself a, a good mapping program on a computer. Take a look at some areas. And let's just take the Brainerd Lakes area, for example. You highlight the Brainerd Lakes area. And you know that Gull Lake and a bunch of that Gull Lake chain lakes are going to be slammed in the summer. What I would do and what I do is you go and you find the smaller lakes surrounding these key areas that you know a lot of the lakes have good bass populations. So you go and find a lake, and I go literally drive to them, and with a good mapping, um, you can go in and you can even see if there's a boat landing there. And I like the lakes best with bad launches. The ones we pick are, don't have a, a launch, you can't put a bass boat in there. You want to put a small little 12 foot aluminum boat. And maybe if you've got a small one, uh, you can slide it off and you basically have the lake to yourself because quite realistically, uh, you're not going to have a lot of jet skiers and you're not going to have a lot of the wake boats out there. Many of the smaller lakes might even have speed limits on them. And the lake finder site on the Minnesota department of natural resources site will give you some information about your lakes like what's in it size you, and you can figure out the rest for yourself the other thing that we've been doing that i do a lot of is river fishing and using the same mapping system you can locate rivers and you can locate access points along the river where you can wade you could put a canoe in or a kayak or a one-person pontoon and you can cover water that's rarely gets fished, rarely gets fished. And you're never going to see a pontoon, a jet ski, or a wave, wave setter boat on those rivers. And I like the smaller rivers. I mean, I fish parts of the Mississippi. Uh, we get the Crowing, the St. Croix, uh, St. Louis River up by Duluth, the Otter Tail, the Big Fork. And, and there's many, many, many others. But just spending a little time locating a river, maybe one I mentioned, maybe one that you have in your area, and 
by going on to the Minnesota River level site, that's a DNR site, it will give you the river levels at any given time so you know what the water flow is going to be. In other words, you're not going to get there and it's going to be six feet over the banks and muddy. You're going to know when it's at medium flow, which is when the probably midsummer, it's going to be medium or a little bit lower than medium flow. And that's when you're going to find those fish in rivers. You know, the walleyes will be in a little bit deeper holes, the small mice will be on the rock bars or up under cut banks. Uh, muskies could be anywhere in those rivers. And we've got one river we fish that pulls muskies out of the Mississippi and um, it's amazing, you know, they go up these rivers to feed because that's where a lot of the bait fish are. There's a lot of uh, suckers and red horse in these rivers and the small, uh, small mouth are there, but the muskies follow them in and that's, that's their chow, you know, it's a dinner bell. But spending a little bit of time and fishing rivers, multi-species, bass, walleyes, northerns, muskies, is probably one of the most overlooked things that I see living in this area, being in Brainerd, Minnesota, and having the Mississippi River run right through our front door here, a couple miles down the road, doesn't get a lot of pressure. It gets a little bit, but not a lot. And I'm talking for all species. So that's what we've been doing. My friend Gary McAnally and I, and a fly fisherman buddy, uh, is a guide, uh, Mickey Johnson, We've been fishing a lot together the last couple of years, researching a lot of these different areas, and we've been having some pretty phenomenal success. I think uh, it's right on track. I mean, if you think about it, Dan, again, the evolution of information, right? I mean, the information is there. It's a matter of how you utilize it, and it sounds like you've got it dialed in. Yeah, and it's and it, anybody can do it. I mean, let's face it. I'm I'm a I'm not a I'm my wife's the computer genius in the house. You know, I, she sets everything up and then I just go play. <laughs> well, I think, I think that uh, Jeff and I could both agree with that as well. Um, fortunately for us, we, uh, we have the same type of wives. So without, without <laughs> Carrie, I would not be anywhere near where I am today. So it's, that's a huge, uh, huge blessing in itself. Well, I don't know where we go from here, but I know one thing, the mantra for life guys, Anybody ask me what to do, you just go fishing. I mean, you want to get away from this COVID stuff, you want to get away from anything, just go fishing, relax. I've never had a bad day on the water. I've had some frustrating days, but I've never had a bad day where I got home and said, boy, I wish I didn't go fishing today. I wish I'd have stayed home and cut the grass. That ain't going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love it. That's, that's very true and well put. That's funny that you say that because my wife sometimes will ask me that. I'll be out fishing and I'll get home and it'll be a tough day. And she'll be like, well, are there ever days where you wish that you wouldn't have gone and you would have just stayed home? And I'm like, not unless it's like really, really terrible fishing and the weather is just brutally awful, then maybe. But other than that, nope, I, there's never a day. I'd rather just, you're always, I mean, even if you're out there, you're still learning something, even if you, you didn't do well that day. Absolutely. And that, and that's the fun thing, you know, we never mention that the fact that when you're fishing, you're always learning, you're always learning, no matter what you're doing, you're learning something, what to do, or maybe in some instances, you know, what not to do. <laughs> well, I can do that again. <laughs> but I think the whole thing is the lifelong learning process of fishing, you know, no matter how good you are, you always get better. And I, I take a look at Al Lindner and Ron Lindner, they never stop learning ever and that's all they talk about what did they learn today you know it's 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 when you're off the water what did what did they learn and holy mackerel no no wonder he's as good as he is he never stops thinking about how to do something a little better uh a little more efficiently or how to get a fish to bite i mean he's it's it's where you want to be if you're a guy like al because he's in a different universe than than i am as far as some of that thought process stuff goes but he sure is fun to fish with. <laughs> well, it just goes to show you that even, you know, at the young age of 77, that you still don't know it all. So, I mean, if, you know, I'm sure there's some anglers out there that think they're pretty good and they think they have it all figured out, but, you know, truly they really, they really don't. And that, I mean, even if you're, if you're still learning at your young age, I mean, there's, it, the sky's the limit basically. You know, when, when, when you figure you know it all, you're done. You might as well quit fishing. 
<laughs> you've, you've got you've got to question something or, or come on trying new stuff is half the fun of fishing i think yeah well i'm definitely i, I definitely am not there i've not figured this whole thing out i've i've had some seasons that have been good and i've also had some some that have that were tough i thought my 2020 season was a little bit tough so i'm hoping that maybe i could pick up a couple things this winter and yeah. and rebound a little bit because they're not all easy i'm sure that you have seasons no. that were better than others Absolutely. And anybody that hasn't had a season like that is either lying or they don't fish at all. <laughs> There's just no way you're going to go out and, and do that every time. But I, I really think that there's so many opportunities just to go out and enjoy fishing at whatever level you want to enjoy it at, that uh, everybody should do it. Everybody should get a license. It should come with your birth certificate. Well, we come from the state that uh, kind of allows that, I guess, in a sense. But, you know, it, the opportunities can be there, but you still got to make them happen. Yeah, you got to go. Right. You got to go. All right, Dan. Well, I mean, it, it's an hour flew by over here on my end. I just love hearing guys that have a lot of experience on the water, a lot of passion. And I can tell at, you know, 77 that that you're just as passionate about fishing today as you were you know, probably 35, 40 years ago or whatever, even longer, probably. I mean, it sounds like you've been fishing since about the time you could walk. It's been great. And we just want to thank you for taking some time out of your schedule. And, and I hope you have a, a great off season. And then I hope you have a, a really great fishing season. So thanks again for coming out. We really appreciate it. It's my pleasure, guys. God bless you and be well. And uh, we'll talk again. Thank you, sir. Thanks much, Dan.